This is our third week in a sermon series called The Practice of the Presence of God. Uh, we've been talking about um, what it looks like to really just to, to hear the voice of God the last couple of weeks. And, and today, the title of the sermon is, How Do We Know It's God? How do we know it's Him? Uh, when you hear a voice or get some sort of vision or dream, when your passion is inspired, um, how do you know that's God inspiring you? Um, and like my dad said last week, not just a burrito from the night before. Um, so, man, we really can't ask, <laughs> I think, for enough guidance in this. So I'm just going to pray again and, and just pray that we will hear the distinct voice of God this morning speaking to us through me. God, it's crazy that you inspire people. It says in Genesis that, that you ignited us with life by breathing breath into humanity, breathing your own breath. And it says that your word is also God-breathed. And, and we see the word as being inspired, but not often do we realize that we are inspired people too. Um, you're inspiring us to see, uh, have our eyes wide open to what you're doing. And I pray that this morning... You'll do that again, that you'll peel open our eyes to, to see you and to love you, to understand the way you communicate. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you want to thumb through your Bibles to where we're going to spend most of the day, it's going to be in Acts 10. Acts 10 comes right after the four Gospels. And I don't know if you remember this, I, I think most of us have been so terrified by the experience of this that we block it out. Um, but do you ever recall being in a store and running around looking for your mother or father and with joy coming upon them or who you think is them and you run up and you're like, grab a hold of your dad's leg and you look up and it is not your father. <laughs> Mistakes happen. What's terrifying, though, is when you're an adult and that happens. <laughs> and you find a small child grasping on your leg, and, and you don't know what to do to convince them that you were not trying to trick them. <laughs> it wasn't my fault, okay? You grabbed my leg. Um, so, um, you know, the other thing I thought about was... Um, I have a friend who I remember telling me is that when you know he got into his teenage years and his voice hadn't quite changed yet, and people would call and and talk to him um, like salespeople and and be like, "Hello, Mrs." and think it was his mom, and that's also unfortunate. So how do we know we're hearing the right person or talking to the right person? Uh, how do we know that when we when we pray we're grabbing a hold of the right divine leg? Right, that it's it's God that we're communicating with, or it's it's God that's inspiring us or speaking to us, and that's a really important question. Um, when we live in in a world that that has a lot of confusing forms of God, that that offers a lot of confusing, um, I guess, inspirations. You know, everything from people that handle snakes during their worship service. We're not going to do that ever. That's dangerous. 
Uh, I don't know if you know. It's not safe. Um, you know, but the Westboro Baptists who, like, picket line, at, like, the most horrible things, you know, and, and everyone just looks at that and they're like, how could they ever think that is God-inspired? But here it's Westboro Baptists, you know, and, and they have all these reasons to, to say that they're inspired people doing this. Muhammad, Joseph Smith, both of these men had a history in, in some way with a Christian tradition, and, and they first presented their views as a Christian tradition. And of course, they were rejected, right? And what Muhammad did was he then went up north and got a big army and came down and slaughtered the Christians, right? And what Joseph Smith did is he headed out west in Salt Lake City area, right? Started the Mormon church. And yet these were people who, who said they were inspired, said they heard the voice of God. And, and so how, how do we know it's him? Right? Very, very important question. So as we've talked about going on, on walks with God and, and speaking to him and hearing his voice, as we talked last week about just seeing uh, the way God manifests his presence in our lives, um, it's important that we, we come down and say, uh, what form... Is God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, right? The Alpha and the Omega. How does he communicate? How do we know that it's him? There's a real sobering word that's mentioned a couple times in Scripture of, of talking about the end of times when people will come to him and they'll say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, well, his response will be, I didn't know you. So here's people that even used a familiar name for God and, and they'll come and expect and, and God will say, it wasn't me you were communicating with. Your idea wasn't correct. And, and that's a very sobering thought. So, how do we know it's God? If you're in Acts 10, we're going to start there, verse 1. Um, we're we're going to read all the way to 23. So, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to, to maybe close your eyes to concentrate, just because this is quite a few verses. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his whole family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayer and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. At about noon... The following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up. Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven 
And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, it didn't quite make sense to him, right? He's still thinking about it. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? <laughs> He's still trying to figure this thing out. right? Why, why are you here? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Uh, man, I, I just I absolutely love this story. And there's five things. Uh, well, actually, we're going we're to start by just talking about personalization of the message and then five things that kind of guide us through understanding what the voice of God is. The first thing that I think is, uh, is really amazing is, uh, is oftentimes we try to go about vision of God like the scientific method, and, and you can't uh, in, in the context of reproducibility. What's going on here? You can't go and be like, every time you have a four-footed, four-cornered sheet lowered from heaven, that's God. Right? Like that, that just that didn't happen. And, and Peter's confused because this is, this is a new thing that's going on here. Very personalized message. One received the message, Cornelius. He just said, what is it, Lord? And, and the other questions, Right? One has clarity. Cornelius heard from God, and God says, okay, go here, talk to this guy, have this guy come here. And then, and then the guy who has probably much more of a history with, with understanding the Bible and the way God works has less clarity on this issue, which is very interesting. It says that <laughs> Peter's going, I'm not going to do that, right? <laughs> when this vision comes, we're... we're Cornelius has the, the clarity to go, okay, I'm just sending people to see what happens. Peter, it's the whole time, it's, it's having these words like he's wondering what's going on, I'm not too sure. <clears throat> One group is a Gentile, the other is a Jew. Easiest way to think about this, basically in our time what that would look like is, is uh, Peter was one who grew up in the church, basically the synagogue of the time. He, he was familiar with what was going on. Cornelius didn't grow up with this tradition at all. So he's kind of like going about it like a child, right? What do you have to tell me, Lord? And God gives him very simple instructions. While, while Peter's wrestling through a much deeper issue, one gets an angel, the other a sheet of animals. <laughs> uh, how confusing would that be? Right? A sheet of animals, and you're like, what's going on here? Um, they happen at different times, but only are understood as they're joined together, right? So, so Cornelius gets it one day, and it says the very next day. So it's, it's a whole day later where Peter's praying, but God in his sovereignty is orchestrating these things, where, where both their little pictures don't yet make sense in the context of the whole of what's God doing, right? Little, little did either of them know that this is the beginning of the missionary movement outside the walls of the, the Jerusalem church, literally outside um, of Israel and the concept of it's, a, it's an ethnic-bound church, right? Two people of all tribes, tongues, nations, this starts here, right? By two men with, 
with visions that are very different, and as they come together, we see something very beautiful happen. So, what's our guides here? How do we, how do we understand that, that these words, these visions, maybe dreams you have, inspirations you have are from God and, and not something else? The first is this. God is the giver and interpreter of the words and visions that he gives. God is the interpreter of the visions that he gives. And this is really important. It is not you who is left to figure it out. Okay? Very important. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn with me really quick to uh, Genesis 41. I'm just going to give you two examples of this. Genesis 41. You have Joseph, who um, isn't having an easy time on his vacation to Egypt. Right? He got locked up. And uh, and what happens is uh, the Pharaoh hears, Pharaoh has a bad dream and hears that Joseph might be able to say something about it. And so he calls Joseph into his presence. And in Genesis 41, verse 16, Pharaoh says, Joseph, I had had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, uh, verse 16 I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Right? Was it in Joseph's natural ability to be able to figure out this mystery? No, it wasn't. Turn with me to Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel is the, the beginning of the minor prophets, right after Ezekiel. And in Daniel chapter 2, another scenario. They're in kind of a tough bind. This other emperor has had a bad dream. I I wouldn't want to be an emperor. They seem to have bad dreams a lot. Um, And and so he comes to, to the wise men, the wise men and enchanters of the land, and he says... He goes, okay, I want you to tell me the dream and interpret it. And the, and the, the wise men go, okay, if you tell us the dream, we'll interpret it. He goes, no, I see what you're getting at. I want you to tell me the dream and interpret it. Right? And so they, this is what they say. They say, no one can do that. And he goes, kill them all. And so the guy comes to kill Daniel and his buddies. And this is where we, we get into our story here. Daniel 2.26. The king asked Daniel also called Belteshazzar, and I hope that none of you think of calling me that as a nickname. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, like his life is on the line here. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dreams and vision that pass through your mind as you laid on the bed are these. And he goes about explaining the dream. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so, so God is the giver and interpreter of the visions here. What this shows us is that, <laughs> that as we go about our, you know, our stories are so important to us. What's happening in our life? But, but what these force us into understanding, especially as God's revealing inspired things to us, is that, that when he shows us something, he's not, he's not 
um, receiving our invitation to come in. Like, God, come into my store. You're welcome in. But what God's doing is he's inviting us into his bigger story and his bigger plan and his bigger vision. He's always welcoming us into that relationship with himself that's going to do more in your life than you can ever inspire or plan for yourself. And that's super cool. Right? When, when Peter went up on his roof to pray, he didn't think, oh, I'm, I'm hoping to get the sheet today. <laughs> Today's the day. Um, no, and, and he's so alarmed by it, he doesn't jump to conclusions. He doesn't think he knows the interpretation. He actually kind of almost it seems like is rebelling against it. There's caution in the way he approaches it. It's important he's not just excited about what's new and what's cool. Because, okay, I don't know about all of you, but it seems kind of new and cool when God says, kill and eat. Like, that sounds like a blast. You know? Like, how? <laughs> right? And, and he isn't like, like, look at all I can eat now. Bacon, sausage, ham. Thanksgiving's going to be so much better. No, he doesn't do any of that. He approaches this situation with caution and waits for God to reveal what's going on here. So beware of of simple, passionate pleas that get you stoked. And you're like, oh, that's new. I like the way they they put that little twist on it. Right? Beware of twists and things like that. Because it's it's beautiful, I think, how, how Peter's approaching it. And every time he comes to another... Um, <laughs> I would say juncture in the story. When the guys come, what's his question to them? He says, why have you come? Later in the story, when he actually meets Cornelius in verse 29 of chapter 10 in Acts, he says, may I ask you why you sent me? (laughs) He's kind of walking this this through one step at a time. He's followed because he knows that's what he's supposed to do. The voice of God said, just go here. But, But he realizes that he doesn't, he doesn't have the full part of the puzzle, and, and somehow God's connecting him with this guy named Cornelius, and he's figuring out along the way. So, as God inspires you, God's gives you, as he gives you a word, let him interpret that for you. Don't just take it and run with it. There's this, this warning um, in, the, in the New Testament. It says, don't run ahead of God. And oftentimes we can do that with our passions. And I shared this with the kids this morning, that it's possible to gain the world and lose your soul even, even when you think you're championing the work of God. Because you take a vision, you go so far with it, you don't realize that God all along just wanted you to walk alongside Him to see what He was going to do. And I think, I think Peter is on track to do that. Second thing is, so the first God interprets, the second is, is the character that we see in both of these men. And I think this is, is very, very important we haven't got to meet Cornelius before. We've got to see how Peter functions. He's a real exciting figure in the Bible. Um, Cornelius, in his first introduction here, it says, uh, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. He was generous to those in need and prayed to God regularly. That's a guy that you want to spend time with. God-fearing man. Leads his family well. Um, that's what we learn about him. Him and Peter are praying men. Um, but Peter, you know, we don't get much of a, a sketch of him here because basically we've seen Peter kind of blunder through the New Testament so far. Right? 
He's the guy that sees Jesus walking on the water, and he's like, just call me. And, and he gets out in the boat, and then he like takes a couple of steps, and he's doing good, and, and then he starts getting nervous, and he starts falling. But we see in Peter a real passion to, to follow God where God leads, even if it's daring or or crazy, or scary. We see his passion get a, a control of him sometimes. And when Jesus is going in one direction, Peter's like, no, I've got the better way. And Jesus has to rebuke him a couple of times. But we, we see in him a, a real passion that, that Jesus is working with, right, to, to shape him into a man who, who I think is ready to, to bring the gospel to all nations, which is what we see in this story. So God-fearing people, God-fearing people know what to do with God's word, right? You treat it with honor and respect. You tremble at it. It's not something that you, you champion around parading because you think it's the cool, like, check this. You know, it's, it's something that you, you treat with honor and sincerity. And, and both of these men deal with it in that way. In 2 Timothy 2.2, it's a, a verse that we took uh, our staff through here at the Coffee Oasis um, recently. And this is, this is Paul. It isn't Peter. But, but there's this amazing point where he says this to, to uh, Timothy. And he says, And the things that you heard from me in the presence of witnesses entrust to reliable men who are qualified to teach others. Entrust to people who are qualified to teach others. And, and I think what we find here are, are people who are trustworthy. Right? As you see Peter and you see Cornelius, these are men who, as, as the word is entrusted to them, they're not dealing with it flippantly. And, and how often do we... Uh, right, Allison just mentioned earlier, and this is the case for most of us, we're like, we just, I don't have time to walk with God or pray. Or, um, and, and that... From, I'll just speak personally. I know when I'm in that spot, I deal really flippantly with the Word of God. Um, because if I don't give it time, if I don't honor it in that way, both of these men had taken time aside. You notice that? <laughs> Peter had gone up. It was his time to pray. He was praying. He was there before God, present. Cornelius in the same way. Right? He honored God. And he was ready. I think when that vision came, he was ready to know what to do with it. And, and that is important. We can't be people that think we're going to be, we're going to cherish and deal well with the word of God or the vision of God when it comes if we're people that don't care about it in the day-to-day basis. Do you have the character of someone who's ready to receive the word of God? And, um, and so what I encourage you with this is if there's people in your life worthy of imitation in this, Stick around them. If there's Cornelius's or Peter's in your life, stay close with them um, and let them rub off on you. You know, in, in athletics, I played a lot of sports growing up, and, and when you're an athlete, um, there is this cloud of witnesses. There's, there's people who have gone before who were insanely gifted, talented people that if you're playing baseball, you, you start trying to swing like they do, right? Or if you run, you, you use their training that they did, right? And it's the same thing here. Is it, All these things that I'm sharing with you today, guides, are, are open for us to practice and use. And so my encouragement with the character is, if you see someone who's practicing and they, 
They're familiar with the voice of God. And when they say, as you hear so often, they say, God, I feel like God's leading me in this way. And there, there's something that, there's those people you hear, and they kind of say it all the time, and yet they're never following through. And you're like, uh, wow, they're, they're kind of flippant with that. But if you hear a person who is living before God, and they share, I believe God's moving my life in this direction. I believe he's speaking me in this way. And you're like, you're dialed in, right? Because you know they're a person that honors the word. And that's ex- it's exciting to be around those people. And, and so I pray that, um, that we become a church full of those people who, who deal honorably with the word. So the second character of these men. The third is the testimony or rule of faith. How do we, how do we know that this is God? And, and as they're putting these pieces together... It's important that we know that, that they are looking for something in particular. And we see that um, Paul's hesitation, or sorry, Peter's hesitation when he went to Cornelius' house is, if you read in verse 28, he says, You are well aware it's against the law for Jews to associate with Gentiles or visit with him. That's his hesitation. His hesitation is, this hasn't really been done before. <laughs> And so he's going about this very cautiously. And so what would convince Peter that this was okay for him to do? Um, What would convince him of that? Cornelius shares what he's seen. Cornelius is an honest man. He just kind of gives a straightforward version in verses 30 to 33. And then after receiving that, Peter in, in 34 says this. Then Peter began to speak and he says... I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And what we receive from here is is what we'll call, and and it has been called throughout history, the rule of faith or the testimony of faith. And this is what it is. You know that the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. I'm going back to the basics. We're going to start from there. I'm going to show you why. He goes, why? I think this is okay. You know what has happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are now witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all men, but by witnesses whom God already had chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify, he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And you're like, this is the gospel, that's great. (laughs) And so after he shares that, it says, While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came on those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. They heard them just worshiping God. And Peter says, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized? (laughs) So what's this? The rule of faith is that as as he shares... Right? And you can see this basically the same essential message by, I've been learning about this actually in my class right now in seminary, like Tertullian, who is in 120 AD, who writes about the rule of faith. And, and this is literally, when, when they looked at the Bible and they were going, what, what books are in it and what aren't? They, they compared things to, 
Are they, do they hold the integrity of this rule of faith, of the gospel, of, of who Jesus is? And so as, as Peter just recites this, and I think Peter's kind of just fallen back on, this is what I know, right? Because he's in uneasy territory here. And so he comes back and goes, does the gospel speak here? Is the gospel breathing life into this situation? And the Holy Spirit comes and just confirms that gospel message Boom. And he goes, who's going to keep these people? They've received the gospel message. And the Holy Spirit came with power. And that is the, the fourth point. So we have this testimony of faith that's being affirmed here. When you have a vision or inspiration, does the gospel affirm that? Right? Is, that, is, is the gospel giving life to that? I mean, I even think about what Allison was sharing earlier. We're like, how could the gospel speak into movies? That's ridiculous. But, but God can, right? God, right? How could God speak into my life, my passions, where I am? And, and this is the thing, guys, is that, that the word of God is inspired. But the cool thing is, is that God is also inspiring you as a person, Right? To live a Holy Spirit-filled life. And the gospel is just going to excite that. Right? Too often we separate the gospel out as like this little church activity. But, but I hope you guys realize, I've realized the last two weeks, and it's just been another affirmation, um, that running for me, running for me is a holy desire. Right? It's a holy desire because as I go out and do it, I feel this incredible communion with God that for most of you guys, like, that is hell to go running, and that's okay. Uh, that It's not okay, you should run. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, what is it? How's God made you? How's God inspiring you? And that just couples up with the gospel. It's not that we have gospel time and we have, like, oh, me time when I get refreshed. No, that, that God's made you in such a way to come alive when the gospel is preached, and that's inspiring you. And, and that's what we really see coming together here. That, that God, when he fashioned human beings, we see this in, in Genesis, he does this really special thing. He breathes his life into it. And when you hear the gospel, he's just breathing his life into you again. To really live. Like, to really live and have experiences. To eat food and be like, mm, this is delicious. Right? Let that be a gospel experience, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You can eat to, and have a gospel experience, because <laughs> you can do it to his glory, and that's, that's really good. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, this is exciting. This is what, what we see here, Acts 10, 44 and on, is that the, 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 this is our fourth point, is that the power of the Spirit of God is present. And that, that is a guide. In 1 John, we just worked through the whole book of 1 John recently. And, and in that book, uh, it made me uncomfortable a couple times. Because, because I like to like go back to the Bible and be like, okay, it has to like say it out word for word here. And if it doesn't... Um, but the fact is, you know, when God gives an inspiration, it, it might not look like something you've seen immediately. And that's what Peter's wrestling with. You, you, does that make sense? He, he doesn't have a model for sheets coming out of heaven. And, and so we might see things that, that we have to kind of process through and go, God, is this you speaking to me? And in, in 1 John, he says, in 2.20, it says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 
Down in 27, it says, As for you, the anointing you've received from him remains on you. Right? That, that when you come, and, and like Peter, you're navigating these things, you have an anointing from God that's going to help you through that. Right? That you don't have to have a seminary degree to, to start working through the Bible and wrestling through its concepts, or even as God's speaking to you, wherever you are, you can start asking him questions, dialoguing with him. Like Peter Peter goes, uh, like, this sounds crazy. He, he goes, surely not. Right? As you're working through it with God. I and mean, we've seen this as, as, you know, God and Abraham. That was the first week we talked about that. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. And Abraham's like, okay, I just want to talk this through with you. Right? That you can do that with God. And that's, that's what we see happening here. Because you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit that remains on you. And, and, and learn to heed the Holy Spirit in your life, because He is inspiring you as a Christian. He is. So learn to live from that inspiration. And that's not the only guide, right? <laughs> because here we have, I mean, the character of these men, we have God as interpreter, we have this rule of faith, we have all these other things that are, are helping as, as we realize. Because it does say in the scripture, James, it says, test every spirit, Right? Or is that First John? I don't know. It's test every spirit, right? And so it's important that we're not just like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm inspired. But how are all these guys working together for Peter to be able to affirm this? The last is this. Um, that we don't re- receive individual inspiration that remains ours alone. And what I mean by this is every inspiration that's given for you is not just given for you alone, but for the good of the church as a whole. Um, in Corinthians, it has this great example of, of um, you know, a body and how a body works, right? And how, how, you know, what if my index finger was just like over here, like, I don't need you, right? That would be really weird. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, you do, because <laughs> everyone's going to be freaked out if they see you over there, <laughs> right? And that, that's what it's like when, when we get this inspiration, we're like, this is mine, and then you come to church and everyone's like, I don't, I don't know, it sounds crazy. And, and you're like, I don't need you, right? And no, like you need, you need the church as a whole. And, and Peter knows that. So Peter comes in verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 11, uh, going right from chapter 10 to 11 in Acts, it says, the apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, they, the circumcised believers criticized him. You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with him? <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> and so what's going to convince them? And so he walks them through what happened. And he shares these same guides with him. Like what he saw and what he experienced. And at the end, this is cool, verse 18, it says, When they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Right? So they had thumbs up. They, they, they said yes. And, then, and so, so we live within this testimony of the church. It's not just private. It's not just personal testimony. We have to come to the church and ask about it. And the, the, the way this story plays out is, is interesting. Because in the book of Galatians, what we find, it's a book that Paul wrote defending his ministry to the Gentiles. Defending his ministry to people like Cornelius and, and other Gentiles. And, and, and he writes in chapter 2 of Galatians how... When he got to see talk with Peter, Peter had like withdrawn and wasn't associating with Gentiles anymore. Even though Peter had had this awesome experience, right, that we just read and was huge. And it said Paul had to remind Peter, 
No, Peter, remember what happened. And so there's that, there's that um, inspiring exchange of people who, man, we can sharpen one another, we can remind one another. I need to be reminded sometimes of, uh, of even the way God made me. I need people, I need you guys to on a weekly basis ask me, Daniel, have you just been spending time with Jesus? Right? Or, or this is a great one, and ask each other this. Is there a time in your life where, where the call of God was really clear on your life, and you've lost sight of that? A time in your life where you really heard his voice, you responded to it? Uh, when, the reason why I'm in Bremerton is because five years ago, I was in Colorado. That doesn't make any sense unless I show the rest of the story. See, there's stories. Um, and I was, I was working there um, and was starting a master's at Denver Seminary. And the week before that happened, week before I started seminary, um, I was sitting in a coffee shop. And I just had this powerful, I don't know if it was a vision or word or what was it, uh, that God just said, go back to Bremerton because I, I want to be building and worshiping people there and I want you to be a part of it. And, and I've, I've never in my life, I don't think, heard a word that clear. And so in two days, I was in my Subi and I was driving back to Bremerton, uh, back to a coffee shop that looked like a, you know, a 1920s diner and you know, had a couple employees and, um, and was started working half-time as a barista here. And, and I love eating food. Um, making food isn't my strong point. And um, so it was incredibly humbling, like... And, and I need people to remind me often of that. Man, remember, Daniel, God, God was calling you back here to be a part of you guys, a worshiping people. And he wants to increase this worshiping people, I believe, to just that more of Bremerton knows that they can worship God. Right? That's what we're calling people to do. We're not calling, when we talk about sharing the gospel with people, what we're talk, talking to them about is just coming and enjoying God with us. Right? To be drawn back into relationship with God. Um, Man, just to enjoy him. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus is coming not to remind you over and over of your sin, but to remind you the guilt and conviction that you already live with can be forgiven. Right? He's just calling you to be back in relationship with himself. And the life of a Christian isn't the life of someone who remembers over and over again they've done bad things, but it's the person who remembers over and over again, I'm forgiven and free. Right? And that's good. And that's what we worship together. And so the guides that we have here are constantly reminding us of those things. And I encourage you, just as you go, man, you can use these to test as you read the Word and, um, and you're getting words from it and you're sharing them with other people. Um, as you hear words from other people who are going, I think God said this to me. And you can go back and say, well, is God interpreting that or are you interpreting that? What's your character? Because God doesn't dwell with the proud. No. He dwells with those who are humble and can try and tremble at his word. That's who God dwells with. Does it, does it fall in line with the gospel? Right? Does the gospel breathe life into that? Is it part of the life of the gospel? Does the, the Holy Spirit's anointing testify to that? And does the church, through faithful people that you're called to be a part of, also commend that, praise God with you about that? So... Man, let this just lead us into worship, um, especially as we take communion again together. Um, every time we take communion together, 
Uh, I hope it's not just something that you're claiming individually, but you realize you're claiming something that the whole church of Jesus Christ does. So we're uniting around that together. Um, So, go out, listen to his voice, and let it give you life. And when it does, share that liberally with one another. Right? And let that fire feed fire. Okay? Let that fire feed fire. Because this, if that happens, this church will be an amazing worshiping people. And I'm just stoked for that. So pray with me and then we'll worship more together. God, we want to hear from you. We want to be people who daily open our hands like Cornelius and Peter and and hear the unique things that you're going to share with us that aren't just for ourselves alone but are to share with other people. God, I pray you'll bless this church with great dreams, great inspiration to love you and call other people to love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.